ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, we're talking 1984's A Nightmare on Elm Street on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from that little street we call Elm. This is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the gory details of the Wes Craven classic, A Nightmare on Elm Street, in the hopes that a teen's death is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person that I trust to help me fool my mom into thinking I'm sleeping at my cousin's house down by the airport. The one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? I'm good. You you have to admit, that's a really cleverly elaborate ploy that, that he's got <laughs> going on there. I mean, that's just With a tape deck. That's just so like an, an enormous cassette player it's just uh, it, it, <laughs> i i've been watching a lot of old commercials recently and uh, one of uh-huh. my favorite ones is there is a a panasonic commercial in which a giant boombox descends from the heavens and it opens up and earth wind and fire comes out it's, <laughs> great, it's the greatest thing i've ever seen in my entire life but that's how i that, that's what i want to see when i die if i if I passed away and a giant boombox came out of the sky and earth, wind and fire walked out of it, I'm like, okay, I believe in heaven. I get it. All right. I get it now. I get why people went to church, but I have a feeling that's that's not how it goes. <laughs> well, it depends on how good of a person you were. <laughs> it's true. It depends on how well I remember specific dates in September, I suppose. Nothing. <laughs> I, that was a decent reference. I even remembered the the title of the song, Gina. Come on. I'm t- okay. I'm tired. I'm in hibernation mode. <laughs> well, I don't mean to scare you, Gina, but we are not alone. That's right. We have a very special guest. You may know him from his work as the assistant editor over there at dailygrindhouse.com. The one, the only Mike Vanderbilt. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It was it was an honor to be asked to join you, particularly on uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, which is one of my all-time favorites. I know that you are a tremendous fan, so let's get to the origin story here. What was your first introduction to the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street series. It's actually a pretty good one. Uh, So when I was growing up, on Friday and Saturday night, my mom and dad would rent movies, usually three from the local video store. And on this particular night, they rented, uh, I don't remember what the third one was, but it was A Nightmare on Elm Street and Never Cry Wolf, which was the uh, movie about the guy eating rats up in the mountains. The rare early 80s Disney uh, movie that is very, very good, yeah. And um, now our VC, we only had one VCR. This is 19, this is probably 1985. Mm-hmm. We had one VCR in the house that was in the basement and we had a, a coaxial cable that ran up to the bedroom where we'd watch the movies. And my dad went downstairs to put the movie in and uh, we were, you know, starting off with Never Cry Wolf, but it wasn't Never Cry Wolf. It kicked right off into Nightmare on Elm Street, <laughs> not the movie we were expecting to be watching. And yeah. my dad's answer is, well, they both begin with N. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, literally, there's very little different after that. <laughs> they they just still, have so much I mean, in I, common. <laughs> I, I, I still have a visceral like memory of seeing, uh, you know, Freddy's claw come through the uh, 
like the the sheets that are hanging up in his boiler room. Mm-hmm. Like if that, and I remember. I don't think this is the movie we were supposed to be watching because <laughs> there's there's a period like so that's like eighty four eighty five. So I'm about five, and that was the point where I still was kind of scared of horror movies. And then sometime around eighty eight is when I actually started loving horror movies because that's when uh, my mom bought me my first issue of Fangoria, which had Freddy Krueger on the cover. For uh, Freemaster. If I had seen A Nightmare on Elm Street when I was five, I would probably still be hospitalized, <laughs> I guess. Very sheltered young man. I would never quite confuse those two. First of all, uh, Never Cry Wolf came in that giant white cl- clamshell uh, <laughs> that early Disney releases came out in. Well, the video <laughs> store had their own boxes, though. Oh, That's uh, what it was. So they all looked the same. They'd all be, it was from Village Video, which is over on, uh, used to be over on uh, Western Avenue on Chicago's South Side over in the Beverly neighborhood. And they would just these plastic ones and it would just be written on the side, you know, the movie. And uh, <laughs> They both begin with N. Like that's it. Yeah. The, I there's, mean, there's also a a a dearth of wolves in, in a nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> <laughs> that's very, very true. Well, I think that's our cue to get right into the action. Let's start talking about minute zero of a nightmare on Elm Street, which of course Starts with the original New Line Cinema flashing red lights logo. But I want to talk about that for a minute because it infuriates me when movies don't, when they get Mm re-released, don't utilize the original logo that was upon its release. So like if I were to see that, you know, that modern day New Line Cinema logo on a uh, Nightmare on the original Nightmare on Elm Street, it would bug me. I wouldn't even be able to enjoy the movie. I think it's uh, wonderful when Universal has a has a movie that's within a specific decade or date, and they will go back to that original Universal Globe logo that was. That I love it at the time. That's great. Yeah, New Line really is locked into that frame that the the, the film with the the spokes on the side of it. Logo. Oh yeah. I think I first noticed that around Elm Street four. Like I didn't really remember the original Elm or the original New Line logo until I got older. And I realized that it was it was there. But it's a very cool logo. I really it dig it. Very, it is very cool. It also makes me think that an ambulance is pulled up every time it happens. <laughs> um, so we're gonna get this movie doesn't waste a lot of time because even during the opening credits there are things to look at. We wander into this glove building scene during the opening credits and it starts with freddy krueger sifting through junk and picking up a paper bag off the wet ground uh which has random razor like uh switch blades in it and shit uh, i'm just gonna put this out there this is very timely but i don't think marie kondo would think that this <laughs> workspace is laid out very well there's not a lot beyond murder that is sparking joy for me in this space. Yeah, he's uh he's got a little bit of the you know, touch of the handyman uh, about him. <laughs> you know, he 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 likes his uh his uh you know artisan hand hand glove blade. You yes. know, very very lovingly you crafting it. Well, that is I think a question I have for the both of you because there are elements of this that are very odd. First of all, it looks like his boiler room slash workspace is inside the Poseidon adventure <laughs> because it's leaking everywhere. There's a lot of steam. It, it, it's, it's definitely, you know, the very typical horror movie killer's lair, which yes. I, I can never figure out in real life where these places are supposed to be. Like well, there's always apparently the- is inside of Das Boot. 
<laughs> they're always like in these in these labyrinthian you know basements and and you know everything's very wet and very dank and and you know there's just you know steam pipes just bursting randomly some sort of freestanding boiler room it doesn't seem to be connected to anything in particular i think i i think i always kind of assumed it was in the school but like nowhere ever does it explain that it was in the school well i think we get that impression because later and and we'll cover this a little bit later on but when nancy goes into the basement of her school it becomes the boiler room and so i've always made that free association that oh yeah it's in the school but they didn't burn down the school. Right. So his boiler. So I, I think that's just like, you know, dream logic. She just happens to wander in. So that made me think, is this sequence actually how Freddie created that glove? Or is this part of Tina's nightmare where Freddie is projecting how he's assembling this glove that he's going to use to kill her with into Tina's nightmare Discuss. Did he hurt the children with this in the past with these with this you know razor glove? I, I think he did only because I mean if there's any evidence of that is that Nancy's mom has the glove. Oh right 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 yeah in correct. the uh, in the in 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 her furnace at, at her home and if you really want if you I mean discuss the sequels it looked like he had a whole array of gloves in his basement in Freddy's dead. Yeah, you kind of do get the impression that he at least was using it to dispatch the kids that he pulled into his boiler room because he is a child murderer, if nothing else. I mean, it's <laughs> the first thing on his resume. A, a child murderer that they made a fan hotline for. I, I, <laughs> I know I mentioned that in the last episode, but we will get into more about the whole Freddy becoming a pop culture hero. <laughs> it's, it's just like you think it's weird how... How, how people like that one character from American Horror Story, how he became the, the school shooter, how he became mm. like he developed like a, you know, a very devoted fan base on Tumblr. Yeah, we can't really we can't really judge those kids. I mean, we, we had a one, we had a one nine hundred dial Freddy hotline. So <laughs> so the child murderer could tell you jokes. <laughs> well, yes, I mean, we're not quite a jokey Freddy quite yet. But yes, he was an MTV VJ on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> one of one of the rare VJs who had a history of child murder. <laughs> um, we don't we don't want to talk about that that JJ Jackson incident. So <laughs> oh, oh poor JJ Jackson. So this is where we meet uh, Tina, played by the ever delightful Amanda Wiss, and she is wet. She's <laughs> everything is wet in this thing. It's like some sort of uh, secret base underneath the uh, Crystal Lake in Jason X. Everything's wet. <laughs> And there's one thing about this movie in particular that I truly love, and that's old school pajamas. Tina is wearing a full length nightgown. Does anybody from- wear pajamas anymore? I mean, I wear I wear like a two piece set sometimes. I do have one in my in my wardrobe. My guess is that most people wear something comfortable yeah. as opposed to a full length <laughs> nightgown seems to be a thing of the past. Uh, but it's very gothic, and that's what I I think it helps evoke in this in this sequence. Uh, we also get the the title cards uh, coming up of of everyone, and they're presented in a very interesting font. I think we could only describe as fridge magnets. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, do you want your toddler to learn the alphabet? Try fridge magnets. This is also where we get the dream lamb scare, uh, which would go on to be a reoccurring thing they would try to stick into the other movies is to, I guess the lamb must have freaked people out, but it's just weird. I mean, I suppose that the idea here is that she is the lost little lamb that Freddy is is the wolf coming to take her in the night. Speaking of someone who who has very vivid dreams and nightmares, I mean, sometimes shit just shows up that has no reason to be there. I mean, it's you know <laughs> the, the you know the the whole joke about how you you know you have a dream where you're you're late for the big test and you look down and you don't have any shoes on. I mean, that's mm-hmm. I I've, I've literally have had that dream and and you know sometimes it it has to do with you know your subconscious and I mean I don't know. What would be in her subconscious? A lamb would be there, but I mean, that's probably you know, it's probably something to the whole you know, lamb and the wolf thing. But yeah, I mean, it's sort of like almost a little bit David Lynchian in that, like you know, just things kind of just show up that don't really make any sense, and then when you wake up, you don't really remember it. You just feel kind of out of sorts. Oh, and she's gonna feel all sorts <laughs> of out of sorts um, because eventually she's steam cleaned to the point she's had it. This this. Uh, dream sequence includes uh, such familiar motifs as Freddy making noise by his glove up against something metal, which we will hear forever during this <laughs> franchise. You know, it's it's it is doggone effective. It really is. He's a regular Quint who's not getting his way at a town meeting uh, when it comes to dragging those metal nails across surfaces. Uh, Speaking of out of sorts, uh, can we talk about one certain credit in this opening credits? Absolutely. Go for it. We get an introducing Johnny Depp. His very first acting role. Yes. I mean, you can hardly recognize him. He's a baby face. He There's looks like he room. looks like he's about 12 years old. It's insane. Yes. He's not even wearing a hat. In not movie, not a either. single scarf to be found. Not, no hats. <laughs> I don't even think there's any eyeliner. I mean, absolutely no tendril has some sort of pirate's tassel uh, attached to it. His soul has not yet been bonded with Keith Richards. <laughs> yeah, he did not uh, bury his soul at the crossroads. Wrapped in various scarves like an Aerosmith uh, microphone stand (laughs) in order to gain box office dominance for nearly two and a half decades. But yeah, he is he is fresh as a daisy in this particular movie. And this is when we start to get the motif here that when Freddy appears, things get hotter. Everything is hot and damp in this particular boiler room. I mean, after all, it is a boiler room, but the combination of both hot and damp gives the impression that someone might, is this dream somewhat sexual? And is it Tina? Is it, is it somewhat sexual for Tina or is it all Freddy? I mean, I get the impression it's kind of, you know, supposed to be with the, the, the dankness and the steam. I mean, I get this supposed to be kind of invoked that she's in hell. Or at least that she's that she's dreaming she's in hell. I mean, I don't think she's. If you're asking if she's getting turned on by this, no, I don't. I don't think. I don't think she is at all. I mean, I, I no, mean, he, I don't. yeah. I mean, he's acting sexual towards her. I think he's turned on. Yeah, he definitely is. She is not. I don't. I don't think she's got any sort of mixed emotions about how she's feeling about all this. Well, I don't know if maybe she had a thing for guys in, in ill-fitting sweatpants. I don't want to judge, you know, that, that green and that, that, that Christmas sweater combination kind of. 
Yeah. His, so, his, his surprisingly jaunty Christmas sweater. It is very celebratory. I like his stance of one shoulder being raised above the other. What I hadn't noticed until this particular watch was that from the neck up, he's super iconic. And from the waist down, he might as well be any any 65-year-old man just wandering through a mall. Like, it's just... <laughs> black shoes that are kind of tennis shoes, but kind of nurses shoes (laughs) and sweatpants, which uh, that was new to me on this particular. Is he wearing sweatpants? He's he's not wearing sweatpants. He's like wearing like work pants or something. They bulge at the bottom. There's a shot very early on when he picks up the paper bag where you see the cuffs of his pants and they are, they're not runners, but they're gathered at the shoe, it's it, they're not really straight line cuffs. I don't know what they are. This I don't think. <laughs> I don't think. I, I, now I have to watch it again because I I, I can't I, picture Fred, Freddie wearing sweatpants. I always hear this like <laughs> shitty shitty black dress pants. You know, like like Dickies or something like that. Like I mean, one, like, he, like he was a janitor, pants. right? Yeah. Like yes, I just I think they're I just think they're work pants. Time. Yeah, yeah. I think they become that. Are you, are you saying that they're like kind of testing different outfits for him? Like, like they just I couldn't think they figure out what the costume over the series. <laughs> and very early on, I don't think they considered that you would see much of his shoes and cuffs. And just, just wear whatever, just wear whatever you want from the waist down, Bob. We're good. <laughs> I, I mean, you want to be comfortable. I mean, it's his dream after all. Um, but it ends. Uh, and Tina starts, uh, you know, from her slumber uh, and setups in the night. And we see that crucifix, which we will come to see a little bit later on. And perhaps the best sequence in all of 80s horror history. I, uh, I'm just going to put that out there. We'll, we'll get to it. Um, but meanwhile, we meet Tina's mom. Tina's mom looks like she just got off the set of a Twisted Sister video. <laughs> <laughs> she's a little haggard, but also looks like maybe she's a roadie. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I, I do know that she comes in in full makeup in the middle of the night. Yeah, she's just, I think she just got home. She, she's kind of, she, she she's just kind of missing the like the, the cigarette that like she like you drags like, like kind of like puffs the smoke at her for yeah, all right, kid. <laughs> this is when we notice that Tina's uh delightful nightgown has uh four large uh knife gouges out of it. She says, Don't worry, mom, I just had a nightmare. And she says, Well, you're gonna have to cut your nails if you keep having nightmares like that. We also meet Tina's stepdad, who introduces himself with the iconic phrase, you coming back to the sack or what? (laughs) So it's 3 a.m. and this guy can't shove his boner down because his new paramour uh, for a second checked in on her child. It's a real, real evocative moment. Yeah, the the parents in this in this. In, in this long street for being very overprotective to the point where they murder someone are actually kind of neglectful and seem sort of indifferent to their children's suffering. All, all the parents in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies are terrible. They're the worst. Yeah, I think that's part of the lore that makes it quite iconic is that it, it puts you in a very specific headspace. And that is a teenager who feels you know what is happening. And a lot of adults tell you, 
you don't know what's going on and there's you're 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 crazy and that is the mind space it's trying to fit you into and having understanding parents just doesn't really help with that they they have either have to be absent physically or absent emotionally or they kind of look like they're beetlejuice cosplayers on the night off <laughs> we cut directly to uh high school the morning after, uh, we get those wonderful accoutrements of every nightmare in Elm Street. That is uh, children in all white jump roping to a nursery rhyme that everyone in the neighborhood apparently passes down generation to generation. It's nice that they have uh, a neat nursery rhyme to tell them about the child murderer that was dispatched by fire merely five or six years ago. I was so. I was going to say that this is a, a, this is again on one of my least favorite things about about uh, the Friday Thirteenth movies how something that happened recently is treated like folklore where yeah. it's like yeah oh this is a story we tell the children that keep, to keep them in line it's like that that just happened <laughs> and this is before Twitter like that would make sense with social media and, yeah and, and it's just like I mean this this all happened in a bunch of you know teenagers lifetimes and and you know but now there's like you know now it's the subject of like it's like ring around the rosy it's like oh well that, that's just something that's ancient history you know the, the kids <laughs> sing songs about it but they really don't understand what hap- what it means and if we learn that ring around the rosy is actually about a child murderer Oof, that is going to change a lot of things about my childhood well me. technically i mean you know <laughs> i mean it probably um, murdered the, the plague probably murdered some children oh that's true oh <laughs> yeah need a plague uh, cut down their ranks a little um so this is where we meet tina's two friends uh nancy and glenn uh it turns out that nancy has also had a bad dream that is eerily similar to Tina's, which they kind of get tuned into, but not for long because into the scene walks the bad boy, Rod, who remarks that when he woke up, quote, I had a heart on with your name on it, Tina. <laughs> is, is he a high school student? <laughs> No, he uh, at best has on a third year at community college. He's he's, he's like he's buying. I'm guessing, I'm guessing he just flunked a couple times. <laughs> he's 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 buying wine coolers for for the local teens, isn't he? <laughs> I did quite like Tina's rejoinder to Rod's uh, dick comment, as she says, uh, "My name has four letters in it, Rod. How could there be room on your joint for four whole letters?" Yeah, Rod. This was take place in Ohio, and 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 Rod apparently commutes there from South Philly, going by his oh. by his his accents, which I don't know why they they either told it to the actor to enhance this accent or didn't tell him to tone it down. I mean, this is a question here that you've brought. I mean, up he sounds like a he sounds like a sweat hog. I mean, it's just like <laughs> <laughs> yes, he watched a lot of Welcome Back, Cotter by the sound of it. If you just closed your eyes, he might as well be a rival gang member, as it were. Back when gangs were funny things in high school. Also, we the later films definitely put it in Ohio. I don't know that they necessarily put it in Ohio in this movie because it is chock full of palm trees. There so they are mentioned, a lot of them. They there mentioned they mentioned Ohio. They do. I don't well, remember do if it's. Ohio? 
I don't remember if it's in this segment, but they mentioned that it's Ohio. Okay, we're going to have to keep our eyes and ears open for that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember a mention in Ohio in the first one, but I also didn't know Freddie was wearing sweatpants, so <laughs> maybe I never actually paid attention to this one. There's a reason there are so many palm trees, because uh, the high school they're at is John Marshall High School in Silver Lake, California. It's now uh, very cool to live near there. It's near uh, Trader Joe's. Very hmm. nice. A lot of craft coffee places. And this is where we learn that Tina's mom is going to be gone for two days. And so she invites both Nancy and Glenn over. I assume her mom has some sort of vital sleeping in her makeup conference she has to attend to. <laughs> this immediately cuts to later that night at Tina's place. And we get to see uh, Nancy. And yet uh, Nancy's outfits in this movie are really primo. The, uh, the introductory outfit is some sort of shirt dress. That is belted a couple different ways. And her second outfit looks like she's wearing a parachute <laughs> or a decorative tent that a local circus dropped off and that she has fashioned into a jumper. Yeah, these are some um, interesting sartorial choices. And and and, and I, I think that the, uh, the movie is pushing a little harder than it did in later movies. She's the good girl. So she's, you know, covering, you know, you know, every ounce of uh, every inch of exposed skin as much as she can. <laughs> it's not like Tina is wearing Sandy's leather hot pants. No, either. but, but we also, you know, a scene or two later, you know, there's no denying that she is also sexually active. So yes. where, where, whereas like Glenn and uh, Nancy look like they are like afraid to even brush elbows with each other <laughs> because, because the, the floor may open up and send them both tumbling directly to hell. Although Glenn really does try and it is uncomfortable. It feels wrong like she didn't know he was going to do that it's altogether ooky it's a regular adams family situation this is when we learn that glenn has concocted a ruse to allow himself to sleep over at tina's house uh this means that he is going to call his parents and say i'm over at my cousin's he lives by the airport and how he's going to substantiate this claim is that he has gained a special effects, a sound special effects tape from Rod, and he's going to play sounds of airplanes <laughs> taking off and landing. Unfortunately, through a series of mad cap gags, we learned that the special, the sound effects tape has a whole myriad of sound effects, including cars crashing and machine gun fire right next to one another, which generally is not how special effects sound tapes worked. But hey, that's just old man's corner for you. Hey, <laughs> I, I'm guess I'm guessing he just didn't check it out before he put it on. <laughs> oh. Which I don't understand with a ruse as clever as that is. Like, why wouldn't you like make sure that, hey, oh yeah, they, I'll have to rewind it for the airplane part. Come on, Glenn, get with it. I don't know that checking things in advance is Glenn's highest priority. <laughs> he is mainly working on pleated khakis and pairing a soft purple sweater vest with a white Izod, which is quite a look that was straight out of my very virginal closet. <laughs> Let's put this out there right now. Uh, Johnny Depp wears this a little better than it looked on me. Johnny Depp is stunning in this movie. Like, he's, I, he's very pretty. It's 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 like he might be the prettiest member of the entire cast. Oh, he is way uh, 1000% the most uh, beautiful 
uh, performer in this entire thing. And the movie also contains John Saxon. So that, that, <laughs> that tells you something. Please, please call him by his proper name. John fucking Saxon. <laughs> From now on, we will refer to him in no other way, shape or form. But how is the first movie we talked about with John Saxon in it? Because he was in everything for a while there. Yeah, he was a real utility player. I don't know how we managed to only light upon John fucking Saxon at this point, (laughs) but the amount of drapery in Tina's house is astounding. It's drapes on drapes on drapes in that place. They are all just sort of a muted white, but there's like five different layers of drapes everywhere. So as they're discussing once again, the idea of all having the same dream sort of comes up. But out of nowhere, they hear a noise uh, from outside. They decide to walk out. Uh, this is where we discover that Tina's porch appears to have three brooms, one mop, and a metronome stuck to a wall. It's very <laughs> weird. And this is all a ruse for Rod to burst out of the shadows clad in, in black leather to tackle Glenn to the ground and certainly probably the the most sexually gratifying sequence in the entire movie. <laughs> and yeah, and yet minutes later he's like he's like pulling a switchblade on him like like they're the jets and the sharks. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you need a switchblade to intimidate Glenn. He looks like he just hatched. <laughs> He looks like a newborn chick. It is. <laughs> he is. You don't. I don't. I think just uh, a two for flinching situation would back Glenn down. Uh, also, Rod is a total dick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He he like this is one of those. This seems to be one of those very unlikely pairings with 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 him and Tina, because Tina is not like a a, a quote unquote bad girl. She 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 seems like a very nice young woman who who probably could could you know have her pick of most of the 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 men in her school young men in her school and in, but somehow she's dating the guy who flunked out of auto shop. I I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna disagree. As someone who played in bands all through his twenties, Tina is exactly the kind of girl that goes for a guy like Rod because whenever they play with these like real kind of like nasty grubby punk bands, they would always have like the most stunning but very for lack of a better term very basic very traditionally like quote-unquote hot girlfriend with him it it's just a thing man (laughs) you are probably i think uh to date are uh, the person who most qualifies as resident bad boy amongst our many uh uh, kill by kill guests so i'm going to absolutely (laughs) take your word for it but i also know that you're very satorial based on your your many photographic evidence of you playing <laughs> in bands and bartending and, and being a man about Chicago. So I, I have to ask you, have you ever put together the sort of outfit that Rod shows up in, which is a black leather uh, motorcycle jacket and then uh, jeans, which are very tight at the waist, and then a button-down shirt that you have not buttoned, but um, you have tucked into your pants unbuttoned. Um, absolutely. Um, and I'll, and I'll I'll say right now, because I, I do kind of, I do tend to steal style and looks from like my favorite movies. And I'll guarantee you at one point I was watching Nightmare on Elm Street and I was like, yeah, I like that. 
I'm going to do that tomorrow. For, I'm going to do that for the show tomorrow. You know, <laughs> it is. And I would just entertain myself, you know, like nobody else would even notice. But it's like, you know, this is my, my Rod Lane cosplay. I And it, we'll get to it later because they mentioned I always like that uh, the police officer at one point describes him as a musician type. They never actually <laughs> say he's an actual musician. <laughs> And I completely stole that. Like when people, like if somebody says like, what would you describe yourself? I'm like a musician type, you know, Uh, and you know exactly what that means when somebody says musician type. It means he owns a leather jacket. Yeah, basically (laughs) what it comes down to, yeah. It means that he saved up and he purchased that right from Sears and he got it. (laughs) And no one can take it away from him. It doesn't matter if he doesn't have a shirt or shoes. He's going to wear that leather jacket. (laughs) But we'll get to that. Both Rod and Tina instantly decide, despite whatever sort of problems they were having earlier in the film, and by earlier in the film, I mean literally 90 seconds ago, (laughs) it's time to loudly fuck. So they excuse themselves uh, and prepare themselves, I guess, in warm-ups. Uh, get the diaphragm warmed up for them to do that. Uh, and this leaves. <laughs> well, here's uh, a, here's Glenn. the thing. Here's a, here's Wait, a- the diaphragm or the diaphragm? Both. Okay. Yeah. See, here's the thing though. We, we, in, in listening to, to this very vocal sex scene, um, we also have to believe that a pair of teenagers have, have achieved the ability to climax at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Teenagers try thirty something. <laughs> Which you know, I mean, not to not to get into to anything graphic, but that's generally a a you know a tough hill to climb. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, though, that I I, I always wonder about a lot of these movies, and it, it comes up in Halloween too. Like, why go fucking the parents' bed? Like, they're gonna know. I mean, I know as a as as a young person, I may not have always chosen the best places to be to attempt to be sexually active. <laughs> and for me as a teenager it was always attempts but i you're doing better I, than i was as a teenager <laughs> that's for sure uh, that's debatable but <laughs> that that bugs the fuck out of me in carpenter's halloween they're like we they have a fuck fan they don't <laughs> have to go to somebody else's house and go, oh, it's Jimmy's brother's room. Let's fuck in that. Like, why? Hey. Why? You have a fuck van. You don't You don't need a, a place. But let's get back <laughs> to Nightmare on Elm Street because here's the sequence that I was discussing earlier. When Glenn leans in to kiss Nancy, there, what is the term for complete absence of sexual energy? Oh, my God. <laughs> it made me not want to kiss anybody. It is... Honestly, one of the most awkward, uh, yeah, on-screen smooches I've ever seen. I'm not, I'm not even sure she does actually just like him as a friend. I don't think she likes him at all. <laughs> if you look at him right there, no, she's just like like completely taken aback. Like this is unexpected and unwanted. Yeah, it is real, and and all credit to Glenn in that situation. He does back off, but. It's a real thin line there for a second (laughs) where you're not quite sure um, because, you know, those jeans are tight and things are a popping. Oh, my God. The way he holds her hand like they're going to a hee-haw dance. It's just Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, though. I understand Glenn's pain because if 
he's not everybody else. Everybody else is getting laid except for him. I'd be pissed. I'd be mad. I, I get it. I <laughs> well, he he, uh, you know, I don't doubt his frustration. But <laughs> when we we meet up with him later on in the midst of Tina and Rod's very acrobatic fuck session. <laughs> He, he's sleeping on the couch and his response to this existential dread is to look just off camera mournfully and espound morality sucks. Is, I thought it was reality. But I rewound it and rewound it and rewound it. And it sure sounds like. I mean, that makes morality. that makes sense because that sounds like, you know, he's representing she's constantly kind of putting him off. And like I said, yes. they're, 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 you know, they have to go some, and obviously as we find out later, like her father, that uh, Nancy's father is, seems to be more upset about the fact that Nancy is at this house with a boy than Nancy discovered her best friend's murdered body. <laughs> he's just, he's mildly put out about that, but enraged that she's at this house with this, with this boy. You know, I, I have a daughter, you know, I, I would be like, you know, we're, We'll, we'll just talk about this other thing later. Let, let's deal with you finding the shredded, <laughs> extremely deceased body of your closest friend. But, you know, but, torn apart from limb to limb. But I guess he sees teen girls ripped apart in their own bedroom and dragged up into the ceiling and dropped into a pool of blood. You know, that's a regular Wednesday that, that, night. Yeah, I was going to say, that. that's, that's lunchtime, man. Come on. Now, what, what were you... <laughs> Yeah, what were you the doing? Police, they have to deal with some stuff, man. Yeah, what what were you doing? You know, at your best friend's house with this other person here, sleeping in an entirely different room than you. Cut to the bedroom where we see that finally Rod and Tina are sated from their animalistic desires, and we get to hear one of uh, Wes Craven's you know finest lines. I, Wes Craven is many things. He, he is a cinematic master. He understood how to psychologically reach into people and, and tap their, their primal nightmares. But the one thing he was never able to accomplish, and I would say almost any of his films, is portray human sexuality like it's a real thing and not just something <laughs> that your third uh, cousin told you about behind your parents' garage. Rod says, oh, all right, have we fixed our problems? And Tina responds, yes, uh, Jungle Man Fix Jane. I mean, I was an 80s teenager. I don't think we talked like that. Would uh, an 80s teenager know who Tarzan is? I mean. Or even care? Yeah, but uh, yeah, but not like quoting it. Uh, you would context. You would contextually know it by by pop culture. Reference, it it, it I, feels very much like like what it was, which was someone born in the forties. <laughs> you're trying to guess what somebody born in the sixties, I guess, would 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 talk like. I agree with that one hundred. Hello, fellow kids. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> is right up there, and it it won't be the last time we confront this. There is a lot of weird uncle sex scenes, uh, like his his fellow traveler Stephen King. Like you can have so many skills, and then when it comes to anything that is even remotely having to do with sexual behavior, you just you can't describe it. And that's fine. It's just not your lane. So here we go. This next, now we're intercutting here uh, between various sequences, but we cut to where Nancy is. Nancy is in Tina's bedroom, that same place that has the wall with the crucifix on it. And this brings up uh, what I alluded to earlier, which is I believe that the sequence in which Freddie emerges 
out of the wall above a sleeping Nancy as one of the most disturbing and truly nightmare-inducing images ever put on celluloid in the 80s. It is, without a doubt, I would say just fucking amazing. It's it's tr- it's tremendous. It's 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 terrifying in, in in its simplicity. And the laserdisc copy that I had of Nightmare on Elm Street in the '90s utilized that image for the uh, front cover. Well, uh, he had just- uh, he he'd used a somewhat similar image for the movie Deadly Blessing, which is terrible. I I yes. I, I, I do. I really wanted to like that one. I, I did. yeah I disrecommend it. it is it is absolutely <laughs> atrocious but there is a somewhat similar image i think involving sharon stone's character i think which is the only you know notable thing about that movie is that it was one of her first major roles but yeah i mean for a practical effect and and you you i gotta say some of the effects in this don't hold up very well like the the arms where he's got the big long arms you can oh, see i love the arm it's cool but you could definitely see the, the wires jiggling on either side of him but but it's the, not the smoothest effect but, but the but the the yeah him coming out of the wall i mean that's that's fucked up i mean i can't i can't think of any other way to put it i mean for just you know an effect where he's probably just stretching through some like you know latex or something yeah it, it was it was something it was real it was real cheap i can't remember what it was i I, cause I was always fascinated with that effect and then found out how they did it. I was like, Oh wow, there was nothing to it. Cause I, another, I mean, there are, while a lot of effects don't hold up like for its low budget, I'm really impressed with a lot of the stuff that they did in this one. I mean, compare it to a lot of Friday the 13th at this point, but you know, their effects were all very specific gore gags here. They're trying to attempt the fantastical. And I, this is where I think without this scene, I don't know that the movie would would hold the same level of historic significance because it is so simple. The fact that when he pushes out from the wall, the light creates shadows that make it even more horrifying than if you saw everything. It's almost a silhouette, a ghostly silhouette. I mean, the Frighteners basically attempts to do this via CGI for half of the run of that film and never gets close to doing it as well as sticking some guy through a white piece of latex and putting the light in exactly the right spot. Absolutely. I agree with that. Although, uh, counterpoint, I do think if they were to finally... Like, I think we're going to get a new Night on Elm Street movie within two years. Like, and I think it's going to be a sequel similar to what they did with Halloween. Like, a Night on Elm Street movie that really utilizes CGI to create a dream world. I mean, that's the movie to do it with, right? I agree. It's a check laying on somebody's desk and they're they're just waiting to cash it because New Line owns the rights flat out. So they're going to do it sooner rather than later. But let's get back to something that is truly outlandish, truly amazing. (laughs) You can't replicate this anymore. And that is Backyards with Macrame Plant Holders. (laughs) And loose bamboo reed fencing. That's how you can tell this takes place in Southern California (laughs) near the east side of Hollywood. This is everyone's backyard in Silver Lake. Every single person's. Now, Tina is woken by something outside uh, out of of sleep. Someone's uh, tapping on her window. Uh, She then learns it's someone throwing rocks and one almost nails her in her face. She then walks outside uh, and she is scared by a rolling trash can lid, 
which is silly because we all know that that just means that Heathcliff is out there and he's using it as a buffet tray for fish skeletons to eat. <laughs> but no, we. this is when we get our first close-up look at Freddy uh, Bartholomew Kruger. I don't know his middle name. I don't care to find out. I'm just going to make up a new one. Frederick Aloysius Kruger. (laughs) This is where we get to see a nice close up of Freddy. uh, And we get that. uh, This is God. It's so gross. I I think it's notable because a lot of people kind of don't think that Freddy Kruger got funny until the later ones. But he always did. I mean, from his first line, he always kind of had like a sardonic sense of humor about him. Well, the, the difference between him and Michael Myers and and Jason is that Jason and Michael Myers were just kind of this like, you know, emotionless void. These like killing machines. And Freddie really enjoyed his work he he's just yeah. having he's just having you know, a grand old time just terrorizing these teenagers and wisecracking and you know hey look watch this, this really gross look you know just like you know kind of kind of the the you know an enhanced version of that kid that everybody had in their class who just something like you know turn his eyelids inside out <laughs> or like or like you know, suck straight pins through like the first like couple layers of skin of his fingers, and you know, it just kind of just liked enjoy grossing his classmates out. This is that just you know to a much a much more you know advanced level. There's a an element that he probably somewhere in that both wet and on fire boiler room that he lives in inside the dream state <laughs> probably has one of those shabby shake wood signs that says, do what you love, love what you do. <laughs> and he absolutely lives up to that. Every single opportunity he gets. Uh, this is when we get those expando arms and our first full use of dream logic. <laughs> I, just like how, I like how he just runs in this really funny fashion. I, I don't, it's, <laughs> It, 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 no, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's just real bizarre. And I believe, and I I, I, I should have researched it. I don't think that's Robert Englund. Oh, no, no, it isn't because we get that beyond the door pan and surprise jump. Uh, ah, yes, yes, there. yes. Um, which uh, if you haven't seen beyond the door audience, uh, whenever you get the chance, please do, because you'll get to see a kid who eats soup constantly straight out of the Campbell's can and this uh, jump scare sequence. So it's not just Friday the 13th that ripped people off. Uh, Craven does here and he he knows how to use it effectively, though. We also get the uh, first uh, Freddy mutilation to freak people out. He slices two of his fingers off and his blood is green. So this is now going to become, I think, the milieu for Freddy. Uh, He has a tendency to do things to himself to freak other people out. And so I'm wondering, Gina, and this is on the fly, should this become <laughs> our new version of Choose Your Own Death Venture? It's it's Choose Your Own Freddy Mutilation, <laughs> where we decide of all the mutilations Freddy attempts in a particular sequence, which one would you choose to do to yourself and why? I think I think we can that can carry us for a little while, sure. <laughs> Why not? I don't think it's a permanent addition, but maybe. Well, I, I, you know, I, I did tell you that the the later movies kind of blend together in my mind. So I'm not sure if that's something that he keeps up through all of them. 
but I, I think certainly for right now we can we, we can let that carry us carry us along. Yeah, this one and the next one definitely have them. I, I can't remember if uh, Dream Warriors keeps that up or not. But let's get to we've we've had uh, a couple of warm ups here, some hors d'oeuvres, uh, an amuse bouche of loud fucking. But let's get to the meal. Right, the meal is the room gimbal kill of Tina. This is. They. This is where you focus in and have a very specific budget, and you know that you're going to want to carry off a gag that that it really plays with an audience. And I would give anything to have seen this with an audience, where that room where Tina begins to struggle in reality. Her stomach rip, rips open, and she begins to be dragged up the wall. And I think the killer that really keeps, that really cements this sequence in place is chaining Rod to the corner close to the camera so he can reach out. And so you see someone who apparently gravity still holds for while she is dragged up the wall and across the ceiling by Freddy Krueger in her dreams. I, I like it's, the I like the very realistic touch of that she is being spun around and she just just thwacks him right in the head and like he just goes flying across the room. <laughs> yes. That's just like such a gruesome you know touch that like he's trying to help her and and you know flying he goes you know she hits him and he goes he just goes flying. I also think it's some of it has to do with with picking an actress like Amanda Wiss who had the flexibility to play a lot different kinds of high school characters and here she's the kind of person you would love to have as a high school friend and other and other in and better off dead she's a, an ex-girlfriend who can turn off her emotions towards you in, in the blink of an eye and in fast times at ridgemont high she's just kind of a valley girl like she had a lot of flexibility for what she could do here and in a very short period of time you quite like her and it's almost as if this is trying to do the psycho thing where if you knew nothing about this movie you completely went in blind would you think that tina was your main protagonist because you start with her and then after that sort of the audience jumps on to nancy as our lead yeah, it's a good little, a little, a good little psycho fake out where, yeah. where you know, this this could be the heroine. Nope, nope, she's dead. Not even half hour in. That gimbal thing gag works like a goddamn charm. It also helps that the room becomes covered from top to bottom in blood. It's I believe gross. they actually cut uh, some of the blood splatter to avoid the X rating because I think uh, Rod was initially drenched in it when she hits the bed yeah because when when she does land it's like there's a lot more blood in there than was just a second ago um because well the blood would actually be dripping towards the ceiling because that room is technically still upside down but yeah he does get uh splashed on it like uh the kool-aid man just burst through the wall <laughs> uh, when she lands and then uh, the screams of both Rod and Tina bring Glenn and Nancy to the fore and they enter the room to see that aftermath. And I think they, they play it reasonably well. Uh, you like you can see in Nancy's eyes like her disbelief that such a thing could possibly happen. It's really intense. So cut to 
the Coanga Branch Library on East Santa Monica. <laughs> uh, this is subbing in for a police station. Wouldn't be the only time it does so. Uh, the inside of the police station is actually the Lincoln Heights Jail on Avenue 19 in my old neighborhood of Highland Park. And this is where we're introduced to the one, the only John fucking Saxon <laughs> and the world's most believable comb over. And speaking of hair decisions. Oh, speaking of hair, I mean, Nancy's hair never looks better in this movie than it does right here. I'm telling you right now, if I had Nancy's hair in this, I would never fucking cut it. Oh, it's so she looks fu- like Thor. It's amazing. It's like a lion's mane. It's, it's, it has so much volume and bounce. Like if, if seeing your friend die being shredded, <laughs> does this to your hair? I may have to start volunteering friends. Um, but then again, you know, it's not all roses when it comes to hair because the third do, or should I say don't, in the scene is that of Nancy's uh, mother here, played by the one and only Ronnie Blakely, who is either plain drunk or is genuinely drunk and has done her hair that way. I mean, she looks like fucking Wolverine. Yeah, there's some. There's some is, she is a very convincing drunk. Yeah, I was going to say, there's some, there's some, there's some, uh, I'll be charitable and say there's a lot of method acting going on in this, uh, in this, uh, this, this portrayal. Of, of a, yeah. a, a, a perpetually drunk mom. <laughs> she does not know where her eyelines are. She doesn't know who she's talking to. She sometimes stumbles for people's names, like her ex-husband and her daughter, uh, which is an interesting way to go about it. But I, it, it feels like she's floating through this movie, uh, which both works against <laughs> and for it at different points in the movie. <laughs> floating on vodka. <laughs> that's right just cresting a beautiful a, vodka cloud cresting a sea of pop-off <laughs> <laughs> just and one of those giant costco bottles oh it's huge it's huge <laughs> just <laughs> there's so much it's like a big gulp every single pull this is when we get uh john saxon totally pissed off that his daughter was in a house with a guy not so much that her best friend died and so he begins to quiz nancy about what happened and nancy's is like and he goes ah they had a fight you said they had a fight she goes oh it wasn't that serious well maybe you don't think murder is oh serious <laughs> oh, oh, okay mom we learned a couple things after this sequence one is that uh nancy's dad is concerned for her, but not that concerned. Uh, Nancy's mom is drunk and she's going back to school. Uh, the next morning we wake up and we see that Ronnie Blakely's hair is still as fucking crazy as it was the <laughs> night before. Uh, she's drinking coffee and we are treated to new line cinema head, Robert Shea, as he provides the newscaster audio. This is of course a preview of the performance that he will give in the next film as the bartender at a leather bar. He I wish we were talking about the leather bar right now. <laughs> Listen, I could do a podcast just on the leather bar, but we, this is what's on our plate right now. We have to, we have to eat what's in front of us. <laughs> and that gets us to the point where Nancy is walking to school. She's grabbed off the sidewalk by Rod who declares that he didn't kill Tina, but I'll fucking kill you if you give me away, which is not how you declare your fucking innocence, Rod. Can you imagine trying to survive the night with no shoes on in that town? <laughs> no, no, those are very hard sidewalks. 
And it, it, it seems um, I, I don't want to walk around uh, East Los Angeles, uh, particularly vacant lots without shoes. That's a good way to get tetanus. I'm just going to put that out there right now. It's a lot of loose, rusty metal and the occasional penthouse magazine that's been rained on. That's from personal experience. I'm just going to tell you that right now. <laughs> They're loose found porn is the best loose found porn. Oh, everybody has that, that, you know, you know in the woods porn story. You know, I mean, just... <laughs> that's right. If you didn't like you, I don't think you can grow up properly without it, which is <laughs> why I've started geocaching porn for my child to find. Um, <laughs> An 80s porn, too. The uh, best. The best, yeah. It doesn't literally could freeze it in time. It's the best way. But uh, it turns out that her walk to school is all a ruse because her father and uh, 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 Lieutenant Thompson pops out of the shadows with a, a very snub-nosed 38 and tells Rod to freeze, and he does not. He makes a run for it without shoes on that concrete, just full board, just pulling an OJ. Uh, but it, it ends just about as well as it did for the juice. Uh, he's captured by police and taken away. And uh, Nancy feels very, very uh, upset by this. I can't believe you used me, she says, uh, therefore ripping her father's heart out, which is something I didn't feel until this watch of it. <laughs> just uh, goes to show you how things change with age. Uh, we <laughs> cut to uh, Nancy in school and we get to see the lovely and talented Lynn Shay uh, pop up here as Nancy's teacher. And of course, as a teacher in a horror film in the eighties, she is telling you all about the backstory of the movie through her lesson uh, in, in uh, Halloween. It's all about fate. And then here we get the immutability of dreams and nightmares. Uh, so there's that. Uh, we also get uh, a guy reading <laughs> Julius Caesar in the most, this kid who's reading I dig Julius that kid's shirt. I want that shirt. <laughs> you know I do. You know I do. He is the most Hollywood version of an L.A. teen ever. Like he's prototypical. He's straight out of Teen Beat magazine. Yeah, but you know when the, when when she starts dreaming and he kind of starts whispering, that's it's very effective. It, it is. It, it's like I, I had forgotten about that, and I'm watching. I'm like, oh, this is creepy. It's like the sound turns down and everything gets soft in terms of reality. I mean, here this is I think the other sequence that really locks in an audience because everything gets a little wonky here, and we would then see other people try to rip this off for what seems like forever, including our very favorite Hello, Mary Lou prom night too, which pulls that same put leaves in a high school hallway and it's a dream uh, milieu. And here it just, it just works better, including the sequence with Tina inside the translucent body bag calling for Nancy and leaving behind this thick and wide slick of blood wherever she goes and being dragged by her heels by an invisible force, which still gives me the heebie-jeebies just talking about it. Yeah, again, it's it's done. It, that particular effect is just done seamlessly. Yes. I, I don't know if she's literally just being dragged around by like a wire or something, but it's, but it's, I mean, she really does look like just someone's just dragging her through the hallways. Yes, it, it totally works. And of course, we get perhaps the best Nancy line <laughs> read of the entire movie here, which is when the hall monitor says, where's your hall pass? She looks at her and says, screw your hall pass. <laughs> and, and let's talk about that hall monitor for a minute, because, I mean, 
there are, I think she's my favorite crush in the movie. <laughs> I like her. She I like I like authoritative I like authoritative women and I like pigtails. Those are just two <laughs> things that I'm into. These are the things that I like and a tight sweater. I like I like her. She's one of my favorites. She's got it in droves. That Here's time. the thing: she, like, it's is the the hall monitor. Is that a? Did you guys have hall monitors in your schools? No, because that no. seems like an extremely Hollywood invention. Just just some student just patrolling the halls and demanding a hall pass. Which now now <laughs> to be fair, I mean we did have like hall passes, but usually the people that would ask you for them were other teachers. Because why would a student be left out of cl- allowed out of class just to make sure the other students were staying in class? That never actually. Yeah. But that's a Lord of the Flies in your home. It's a situation. very and and they're always like they always take the the role very seriously and but it's like this is something that that Hollywood still uses a lot that I don't think has ever borne itself out in 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 real life. Yeah, it's a it's an oddity. It, it seems like it's of a different era. Um, and then again, I don't know that this, this leads to the question, is there an actual person who's a hall monitor or is this just Freddie in, you know, before Freddie takes over her body? Like, is there really a hall monitor there? Because Tina's not really there. That's all inside of Nancy's dream. So well, Nancy's not really there. She's not even in the hall. She's just sleeping in class, right? Yes, but she is wearing pink on pink. It's a pink sweater <laughs> vest on top of a pink pinstripes button down tee. Uh, a lot of nice sweaters. A lot of good sweaters in this movie. Not just Freddie. It's everybody. It's a, a lot, lot of good sweater sweaters. work. Just everyone is dressed like a million bucks. Uh, The uh, hall monitor is also bleeding from the nose uh, and uh, turns into Freddy very subtly. But yeah, it, it works. It's a good look for her. And and I think she would score. I think she could get it. I think. And a a great uh, Fred. I mean, like probably the first really funny line, like Freddy being Freddy with Mm. no running in the hallways. (laughs) Uh, and this is when Nancy, of course, goes down to the uh, high school basement, uh, which transforms into Freddy's uh, boiler room. That boiler room is uh, once again um, the uh, Lincoln Heights Jail on 19th Avenue uh, in Highland Park. And uh, this is when we get the next great Freddy gra- uh, gag when he slices his chest open to reveal lots of green, loose lunch meat and maggots. <laughs> it's gross it's still it's gross. gross it's super gross uh it doesn't necessarily look real but nothing in this sequence necessarily does look real and uh nancy is now uh the main target of freddy from this moment on uh in, he hides around shadows uh we we have a lot of he, this is when we get the first full look at at the way he enters a scene with his his left shoulder higher than his right uh, i love that freddy krueger's slouch Yes, it's very unique. His his makeup changes a lot when he's filmed in the daytime versus the night. It doesn't quite look as uh, grody or slimy. It looks a little dry. Because he moisturizes before he goes to bed. That's true. Well, you got, you, you got to. I mean. I tell you, you're telling me. I'm 38. Like I- <laughs> it, People don't tell you. Start using eye cream. Wash your face before you go to bed. Like, <laughs> like these things, you know, wear uh, wear something with an SPF. It's fine. It's your face. You're going to wear it your whole life. Believe me, this is going to pay off for you in the long run. 
Uh, we get a lot of uh, metal finger fingernail scrapes against metal here. Uh, and we also learn one piece of vital information uh, Nancy discovers. And that is if you're hurt in a dream, uh, you can be hurt in real life. And you can also use that pain to help you wake up out of a dream as she uh, forces her forearm onto a steaming steam pipe and wakes up and freaks the fuck out in Lin Shay's English class. Uh, and we get a lot of what's her fucking problem looks from the rest <laughs> of the class. Who, who apparently have not have not gotten the news that their their classmate is uh is is re- very recently deceased. Well, they well, probably don't take murder seriously. Obviously, no. it's a problem with teenagers in these movies. Nancy thinks she's so cool because her best friend got murdered by an invisible maniac. I'm just thinking of remember um, like remember in um the first episode of Twin Peaks when like the entire class is just like just looks like a bomb went off and 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 uh, and uh. Donna is just sitting there, just just you you hysterically weeping. Everybody's gathered around, patting her shoulder. Yet not in this school. Everybody's just like, Bap! you know. Well, does anybody want to get her locker? <laughs> you know, I mean. weeping your own fancy barrette on your own time, Nancy. This is really making your grief is making us extremely uncomfortable. We also see that 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 classroom has a lot of uh, cute animal posters, <laughs> which is interesting for an English class, uh, and but. Uh, when she wanders outside, she notices that her arm has an actual burn on it. And that means that she has been harmed in her dream and in real life, giving her a clue that might help her survive the situation. But that's where we have to end it. Every beautiful dream has an end, even if we're in the middle of it. And that's what it brings us to here. So we will pause our VHS tape. We'll pop it out. We're not going to put it in the rewind machine just yet. Uh, but that is it for this sequence of A Nightmare in Elm Street. Uh, but before we go, um, Mr. Vanderbilt, uh, why don't you tell our audience where they can, they can find you on this here internets uh, to read and hear from you? So you can find me online uh, on Twitter, my my favorite, my preferred social media outlet, at Mike Vanderbilt. I was an early adapter, so that's why I didn't have to put like the real Mike Vanderbilt <laughs> or any of that nonsense on there. And I'm also not creative, so I just have to just want my name on everything. Maybe that's the narcissist in me. I don't know. <laughs> but you can find me at dailygrindhouse.com um, or I'm the assistant editor over there. I also freelance a couple places. I do a lot of work for Consequence of Sound. In fact, uh, they're going to be doing some big time stuff uh, relating to Nightmare on Elm Street, which I believe I will be involved with. Yes, um, I hear Halloweenies is is uh, jumping on our coattails. Oh, yes, yes. We are. Hey, you know what? We were the originators, though. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you're the originators of Halloween. <laughs> no, I'm talking you guys, me and you, oh, us together. Oh. <laughs> I'm not I'm, I'm not part of that. No, man. Like, no, no. I'll be lucky if I'm invited. <laughs> well, I think they should, you are a man of many resources when it comes to Nightmare on Elm Street. I, you have a few things on Daily Grindhouse that are very uh, Nightmare on Elm Street specific, do you not? I do, uh, but my favorite thing that if I was going to plug one thing on uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is uh, the video, the visual essay that I did for Consequence of Sound where I uh, traced the marketing of, as we discussed, a child murderer to children in the 1980s uh, that I was really happy with how that turned out. It's really good. It, 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 it always fa- it fascinated me, too, even as a kid, that how did it go from this to this? And it's great. 
And if you're in Chicago, you can find me at the Rock Island Public House, 10 and Bar, on every Saturday night and all day on Sunday. Now, does that include discount shots of Malort, or is that full price? <laughs> uh, you know what? Nobody should have to pay for Malort. If you come in, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. If you come in to Rock Island Public House for the next month and you mention the Kill by Kill podcast, I will buy you a shot of Malort and do one with you. There you go. And, and film the and film the reaction because I I tried Malort on a trip to Chicago last year and just I I, I think the face I made was just like like it, it it looked like my entire skull had turned itself inside out. <laughs> it is a once in a lifetime experience uh, for all of us who are out. If you're lucky, <laughs> <laughs> that you must try at least once. Otherwise, you do not have bragging rights. So I urge everyone to do so. Uh, have you and, done it? Have you done it? Oh, yes. Well, my wife is is from Madison, Wisconsin. We often spend ah, time okay. in Chicago. Uh, so, yes, Malort has entered uh, my mouth hole and it made it <laughs> all the way down to my stomach. And I don't remember a lot of things. And, and you after. felt every you felt every inch of it going down because it just oh, leaves yeah. a path of destruction. From <laughs> and, the- it just, and it just hangs out. It just hangs out <laughs> like somebody who just won't like one guy who won't leave the party. Right. And you think it's never going to go away. If you, I I think of it as like Slimer from Ghostbusters in fully liquid form. And it continues in, in your stomach, just kind of like, eh, give me those hot dogs. And you put all those hot dogs in my mouth. It's like, please, just, will, will this make you go away? Just, I'll have another hot dog. Just please just, just let me go. Oh yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty terrible. I don't even know if I like it. It's just become so uh, I'm it's not a, sure. It's a real Chicago. You have to do this thing, though. Oh, yeah. But the, the weird thing is, I mean, I'm 38. I grew up here. I've been here my whole life. Like, it really didn't. I really didn't start hearing about it till about probably uh, 10 years ago. Yeah. I, I think it's a bit of the same thing in Wisconsin with Spotted Cow. Like, I went there and I drank one. I'm like, oh, this is easy drinking. But now it's a bit of a cult. And it I it feel is. Like, yeah. Oh, what people and I, I like the stuff too. I mean, there's really not a lot to it, but that's kind of what I like about it because I tend to like uh, light beers. I mean, I work in craft beer, but I would most times rather have like a bucket of High Life and a shot of Jameson. Um, <laughs> but like, whenever somebody goes to Wisconsin now, they'll bring me back. Uh, they'll bring me back a case of Spotted Cow, and it's it certainly doesn't go to waste. It's it certainly so doesn't go to waste. People, people get very excited when they see it in the fridge. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 I. Uh, I. Oh man. I. I Definitely come back with five pounds in it uh, around my midsection <laughs> after every Christmas. Uh, all right, uh, Gina, uh, where can people find you on this here internets? Uh, well, I have my blog in which I write about old TV and movies and pop culture in general. That's GinaRadcliffe.com. I write, uh, I do movie and television reviews at Alka Hollywood, uh, which will soon be changing its name to The Spool. So look out for that. Um, I recently, um, review the first five episodes of the new season of True Detective. Um, I collaborate on an article about Raising Cain, which uh, which I, I would actually be, I, I'm actually kind of hoping, throwing out to one of our Patreons the, on the $10 level, that if you ever want to hear us talking about Raising Cain, I, I am totally up for, for, for talking about it, because it's, it's an interesting movie. Um, yeah. Have you seen it? Oh, yeah. I saw it in the movie theater. Did you? I, uh, yes. Okay. Um, I, uh, I, I believe... 
It is a movie that I saw when I was supposed to be uh, extorting Mormonism to people <laughs> and not going to the movie. You probably made, overall, you probably made the better choice. No, seeing this in Dr. Giggles right up there is one of the best moves. I saw Dr. Giggles in the theater, too. <laughs> um, and that's another one that we should keep our eyes out for. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I am also on Twitter uh, under Porcelain72. And before we go any further, is there any news when it comes to the beautiful people who take money out of their own wallet and give it to us for reasons I can't quite fathom our Patreon? Oh, my goodness. I I don't like to I don't like to brag, but we really hit the jackpot this week. We got so many new new patrons um, just to put in order. Um, Charles Lieberman. I, I know that guy. Um, yeah. uh, David Robeson, um, Taylor, no last name given. Uh, and we have three, three, count them, three new $10 patrons. I can't wow. believe it. I was just like jaw drop. Wow. Bells going off. <laughs> we have, we have Bill O'Donnell, who is who is history one of history's greatest human beings. Um, we have we have Kristen Valentine. We have Lauren McLevy, who is another one of history's greatest human beings. Thank you all so very much. And and one of you, a um, month or two from now, we'll, we'll have the the opportunity to pick a movie for us to watch, which which may not be as insane as the visitor but could be even more insane than the visitor and i i am both delighted and terrified and in, in, in anticipation yes it will be hard to outdo the visitor but i have a feeling uh, <laughs> that, that those who have been given the charge and the ability to do so will relish the opportunity uh and of course you can catch up to us on twitter at uh, kill by kill pod uh we have the facebook page and group uh we ha- we're on instagram at kill by kill podcast that's where uh Kristen valentine found us i think she may be the only person that i'm aware of who has <laughs> found the podcast via uh instagram so that's a wonderful thing and uh uh, so I'm so very happy uh, that, that she's joined us in that way. And I hope we're worth it for her and for all of you. And so that brings us to an end. Uh, don't worry, folks. The body count will continue. And so for myself and for Mike and for Gina, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.